wancy-wancy anime at Anime NYC! Hello everybody, this is Manga Mavericks. We are a podcast dedicated to discussing manga as both a medium and an industry. I am one of your hosts, Lone Ramayasha. I am joined by Wheelord GTZ. Hi everyone. And today we are going to do something that we have been meaning to do for quite a while now, and that's discuss all the licensing news that came out of Anime NYC. Now, Anime NYC was like a month ago at this point, but between our busy schedules, we weren't able to sit down and just record the two of us together, both of us who were at the show together, about all the licensing news. We did record an extensive, lengthy retrospective podcast on Anime NYC. But that was extremely long. It'll take a while more to get out to you folks. And while we did touch on some of the licensing panels on that show, it's scattered all around the episode. And so we thought we would make a more concise coverage of all the news out of Anime NYC on the top of the show for today. Let's just finally talk about it. All the licensing news out of Anime NYC. And there were some big announcements. I think first off, let's start off on the subject of Shonen Jump. Because at Visit Shonen Jump panel, they made uh, some big, big announcements. First off, Demon Slayer Manga Speedup beginning in May 2020. Where they will begin releasing one volume a month beginning May 2020, basically starting with volume 12, I believe, and then going all the way through, I guess, the most current volume. Yeah, I mean, this is very exciting news. Um, As we're recording, volume 10 has already been added to the digital vault, Um, and they're going to continue doing that monthly as well. So, honestly, this is a really good idea. Uh, I know because of the anime, Demon Slayer's got a lot more popular... A lot more people want to catch up, so this will allow people to be able to read the entire series in the vault by around June, and then the physical releases will be around to the end of the gap by August. So that's really cool. Indeed, it's great to see that fans will finally be able to bridge that gap and read the entirety of Demon Slayer beginning to end on Vince's Shonen Jump site and app, and as well as pick up all the volumes in print at an even speedier fashion. But also exciting for Shonen Jump fans is going to be the ability to collect for the first time digital volumes of several short-lived Shonen Jump series that have previously only been available if you had been subscribed to the Shonen Jump magazine while they had been running until recently several of them have been added to the Shonen Jump app. However, beginning Early next year, Viz is going to be releasing nine of these short-lived Shonen Jump series in digital volumes. So they won't just be available to read on the app. You can purchase the digital volumes, which will have extra content and will be redone, retouched up for these volume releases. So that is very exciting news. These series, of course, include Robot Laser Beam by Tadatoshi Fujimaki, the creator of Kuroko's Basketball. This was his golfing series about a stoic character called Robo who doesn't 
show much emotion, but becomes fascinated with the game of golf. We also have Red Sprite by Tomohiro Yagi that's going to be released in winter 2019, which is set in a post-apocalyptic steampunk-like world where people basically use technologically charged superpowers to lead a revolution, our protagonist group, against this uh, the industrial fascist society. We've got Love Rush, from Ryohei Yamamoto coming in early 2020 in digital volumes, which is basically about a guy who is burdened with his, what is called the uber male gene. So all of these women in the world, they all fall in love with him. And things go from complicated to extremely complicated when he no longer just starts attracting regular girls, but monster girls including an angel. Then we've got Hi-Fi Cluster by Ipe Goto coming in early 2020, which is also set in a sort of futuristic society where everyone has abilities that they can download and apply to themselves by stickers. But of course, this leads to an uptick in crime, and so a special unit of the police department is out to stop those crimes by any means necessary. Next up is a title that sadly recently ended, but at least we will be able to collect the digital volumes of the series, Yui Kamiyo Let's Loot by Hiroshi Shibashi of Neuro Yaisa the Rokai fame. That's coming in early 2020. It's about a girl who switches personalities when the chain tying up her hair is removed. She goes from a demure kind-hearted white-haired girl to a tough Sukaban badass punk girl with black hair. And there's even more cool stuff about this character and about the series in terms of it being about girls, punks, fighting with crazy powers, and it basically becomes a horror battle manga. It's pretty, pretty metal. It's a shame that it ended, but it's a lot of fun. So you can collect that in digital volumes. But also, in terms of other series that have ended this year, sadly short-lived, before their time, we have Last Sayuki by Daijiro Nonue coming in early 2020. And of course... We have talked about the series even recently, but yes, you know, this is a series about, it's sort of a reimagining of Journey to the West in a sense, it's inspired by it, inspired by Sayuki, where it's basically this kid has to take care of a girl who holds superhuman powers, and there's even more intrigue to the story from there. Then we've got Neolation, speaking of other series that ended this year short-lived, by Tomohide Hirao and Mizuki Yoda. That's coming in spring 2020 in digital volumes. Basically about a super hacker who takes on the criminal underworld. Then we've got Hell, Ward, and Hikuma by Natsuko Komi. That's coming in spring 2020 to digital volumes. Again, an exorcist series about Higuma, the titular Hell Warden putting all these escaped souls back into hell. And then finally, we've got Stealth Symphony from Ryogo Narita, 
Of course, the acclaimed author of Dorarara and Bakano, their short-lived Shonen Jump manga, that's finally going to be available for you to collect in digital lines in spring 2020, about a kid who joins this agency full of people with crazy powers and goes on uh, missions in this society trying to deal with the evolution of all these different powers and uh, coexist. So We've talked about a lot of these series on the show before, both in terms of our initial jumpstart, first impressions reviews, and some of these series we have dedicated reviews of them in their entirety, retrospectives of uh, those two being Stealth Symphony and Love Rush, and you can check those out, and you can also check out our jumpstart reviews of the rest of them, and be rest assured, since these are all short-lived jump series, we will no doubt be doing retrospectives on each and any one of them in the future, and now with the addition of digital volumes, that'll be easier for everyone to be able to collect and read these series at their leisure. Though they are also available on the Shonen Jump app, with the exception of Robot Laser Beam at this yeah, time. Which... which is why I'm glad that they're doing digital volumes, because Robot Laser Beam, for all its flaws, deserves to be read by more people. Like, the high school portion of that series, I think, is still, I think, one of the strongest kind of, like, encapsulations of, like, why a person would get into a sport. Like, really showing the journey of the infancy of that passion to wanting to do it as a career. So I think that that portion specifically really needs to be reread by more people. Yep, sadly underrated. It was a great attempt at a golfing manga in Shonen Jump, and I enjoyed reading it while it was running. And I'm going to be glad that now this is going to be making it available in digital volumes for more people to collect and read. But... Wiz have made some other manga announcements of Anime NYC outside of Shonen Jump. The first being a new Junji Ito manga called Venus in the Blind Spot, a new collection of Junji Ito stories featuring short works that he's done, including an adaptation of Rampo Ed Ogawa's classic horror story, Human Share, and of course, probably most exciting of all, the fan favorite, Enigma of Amigara Fault. Yes, the legendary This Hole Was Made For Me manga is finally going to be available in print form for you to collect and read. And this is going to be presented in a deluxe presentation with special color Colorbaters and color illustrations from Ito's most recent long-form manga, No Longer Human. So, this promises to be a collection that will have readers reveling in a world of terror, and that is coming out on February 28th. But, if horror's a little too scary for you and you just want a nice, comforting kids manga... Well, you're in luck because Viz is going to be releasing a new Splatoon manga called Splatoon Squid Kids Comedy Show in summer 2020 about new inklings taking center stage as they and their friends embark on hilarious escapades in the world of Splatoon. Wiz has already published a Splatoon manga that is currently ongoing that is based just directly on the game, I think, and it run, that runs in Korokoro Comics. And this, too, runs in a offshoot of Korokoro Comics. 
I think this is even more GOG manga focused, whereas the main one is more of a, a genuine narrative based on the game. So, but more manga for Splatoon fans. V-Lord, you're a Splatoon fan. Are you looking forward to this I mean, manga? Yeah, I, I might check it out. Like, uh, I liked uh, what I, little I've read of the uh, main Splatoon manga that Viz has released, so I think I might enjoy this kind of four coma one as well. Mm-hmm. But that does it for the official announcements Viz made, but there are tangential Viz-related announcements. The first being, if you wanted a 24-7 Naruto streaming channel, you're in luck, because at Viz's Naruto 20th anniversary celebration panel, they did announce that there's going to be a dedicated Naruto channel on streaming service Pluto TV. And the Naruto channel will be the service's channel 677. So if you have Pluto TV and you want a channel that is going to be playing Naruto 24-7, there you go. Channel 677 is the channel for you. But apparently it's only subbed episodes, so if you're a dub fan, unfortunately, you're out of luck. But if you love sub Naruto, then yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is kind of an interesting idea, I guess. I mean, I feel like a lot of people could just like watch these episodes on their own time, though. There's a lot of appeal, at least in my opinion, to 24-7 like streaming channels devoted to one show. I very much appreciate it. When Adult Swim has all these channels on the Adult Swim app where, you know, sometimes you're not sure what you want to watch, but you click one of these channels of one of your favorite shows and it might be an episode that you haven't seen in a while or you were thinking about rewatching and you're like, hey, I looked out and I'm going to just enjoy this and chill and watch this going. I really appreciated it. Like, I really like checking in every now and again to Adult Swim's Channel 5 stream, which hosts a bunch of Tim and Eric shows. And that's how I really got into On Cinema at the Cinema. And I also enjoyed earlier when Black Jesus was coming back for the third season, just popping in on the Black Jesus channel and rewatching the show on there. So I think these streaming channels are a lot of fun if you just want to, you know, you don't want to ha- pick where you start watching the show. You just want to have the show on the background. And so you put on the channel and you just go for the ride. But this isn't the only Viz-related anime announcement happened in Anime NYC. And this was a big one. It certainly blew up on Twitter. On my tweets, tweets I made, in fact, this announcement that Megalobox, the 50th anniversary anime celebration of Ashina no Joe, that is getting a season two. Coming in... Fall 2020 to perhaps early 2021, but it's coming, it's looking hype. Uh, They showed a teaser at the panel, and they then posted it online. And as someone who really enjoyed Megalobox, I'm really looking forward to the sequel. I'm interested to see what they'll do with the story and characters. The premise of the season two is going to basically be in the aftermath of a character dealing with trust issues and trying to relearn how to trust people. And I think that's really interesting. I'm wondering, is that going to be Junk Dog or is that another character they're describing? Either way, I 
am really looking forward to more Megalobots. Yeah, I mean, I talked about this with a few people a while back, but I feel like the first Cinema Megalobots took most of its ideas from the first part of Ashita Nojo. So I feel with the second one, especially with how they're kind of describing it, it's going to be taking more from that second part. So I'm definitely interested to see how this is handled, especially since that second part of Ashitano Joe is what really, I think, sold it to me as like my favorite manga of all time. Definitely. I mean, we may see Megalobox's version of Carlos or Jose. So I'm curious to see how Megalobox would interpret those characters. I feel like we already had Dragon Kim in the first season. Yeah, we, we definitely had our Dragon Kim already. But uh, I think a Carlos Rivera or Jose Mendoza would be definitely cool. I'm not sure if we'd be able to have a fight anywhere near on the level of Jose versus Joe. But hey, yeah, I, I definitely would be interested to see them try. Maybe they'll reinterpret Hari Mao. Oh, no. Maybe make it more politically correct. No, no we're throwing day. away Hari Mao. We don't talk about Hari Mao. <laughs> well, let's move on to another subject. Another publisher. Because Denpa also made some big Mongol licensing announcements at their panel at Autumn NYC. They announced four new titles. Including, and Gundam's on my mind right now, they're licensing Hideki Owada's The Man Who Created Gundam. A dramatization of the creation of Gundam beginning from when Yoshiyuki Tomino outlined his plan to a friend and eventual Gundam character designer Yoshikazu Yasuhiko. This is a two-volume manga. And Denpa is licensed this for release next year. I'm looking forward to this. I got to interview Tomino, or at least was a part of the interview and got to ask Tomino a question. And so you can look forward to that being posted on com sometime. But I'm very fascinated by Yoshioki Tomino as a director and as a creative. So uh, dramatization... About the origins of Gundam sounds incredibly exciting to me. But Denpa's other cool new titles that there are coming out, and that includes Kamentotsu's Bebe Baz Begarai, which is actually just a tentative title. The original Japanese title is Koguma no Kekkesan, so. Who knows what the finalized translated title will be. But this is a manga that's actually been serialized on Twitter first. Before moving to a website called NetLab. And then it was released in print the year afterwards by official publisher Shigakukan. But it's interesting how it just started as a web manga posted on this artist's Twitter before very quickly being picked up by a big publisher. And there are currently four books of this series, and it seems like it's an ongoing series. But it's about basically a bear cub that runs a cage shop, but because he's just a baby, Despite being a master baker, he doesn't have the best business sense. So this sounds all sorts of adorable, and certainly based on the character designs on the cover, it looks all sorts of adorable. So I'm quite interested in seeing this cute bear cook pastries. 
but probably make terrible financial decisions. But adorably! But if you're a fake fan, and certainly there were a lot of fake fans that showed up for Denpa's Today's Menu for the EMEA Family Panels, you're in luck because Denpa is continuing with licensing more fake-related stuff because they are releasing Nakatani's Fake Grand Order Shaldea Scrapbook Manga, which features short stories centering on various characters involved with the Shaldea organization in the Fake Grand Order Smartform Games story, which I know nothing about, but this manga has been published for... A uh, while, two years, I think it's only one volume long, but the book release has an original story that wasn't in the original serialization. So you can look forward to that coming out next year if you're a big fake Grand Order fan. But if you're more a fan of cute animals, and also a fan of classic manga authors like Moto Hagio, well... This is a manga for you, because Denpa is releasing Motohagyo's Little Leo manga. And that title is also tentative. The original Japanese title is Leo Kun. But this is a cat manga. It details the adventures of a, a two-year-old house cat named Leo, including going to school while riding on the neighborhood kid's bag, starring in a movie, and being a manga consistent. Wow, this cat does a whole lot. It's not just an ordinary house cat. It's like a movie star and a mangaka. It's very old. impressive. Rest at two years old. My God, you're giving me imposter syndrome and inferiority complex. Little two-year-old prodigy. I can't compete with that. But nevertheless, this is a manga that's like a little bit earlier, older than some of Denpa's other licenses in this batch, because this manga was published back in 2009. But this is one of uh, the rare new Motohagyo licenses that's not coming from Fantacravic's books, but it's great to see more of her works being picked up by other publishers and being put out over here for us to read here in English in the States and beyond. So some cool new licenses from Dempa that are sure to appease fans of all sorts of different interests. What do you think about these Dempa licenses, or GTC? I think they're pretty good. I mean, I like that Dempa is licensing, like, a wide variety of titles. Like, none of these are really falling into, like, a similar category. And I think that's kind of what Dempa's been really good at. They're finding kind of these nice niches of titles that other publishers are ignoring and helping bring them over. So I think that's really cool. And I'm definitely interested in a few of these, especially the the men who created Gundam and Moto Hagio's book as well, Little Leo. So, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be checking those out. Are you as interested in the selection in Square Enix's licensing lineup from Anime NYC? You were there at their panel, so why don't you give us the rundown of all the new manga books they license? Yeah, so Square Enix... Uh... 
For those who don't know, Square Enix is starting their own manga and book imprint in this coming year. And at Anime NYC, they licensed five manga and one novel. So the first of these titles is Rodna Crimson by Daiki Kobayashi. This is a uh, action-packed dark fantasy uh, where humanity is now living under the threat of annihilation from these powerful dragons. So now this dragon hunter named Ragna needs to embark on this revenge quest to eliminate the dragons completely. And this will be out from Square Enix on August 2020. The next title that they announced was The Apothecary Diaries by Natsu Yuga, uh, with art by Neko Kurage and composition by Itsuki Nanao. This one is about a, after breaking a curse on Imperial heirs, a palace servant with training in herbal medicine is promoted up to the ranks uh, to food taster and right into the thick of palace intrigue. So this one seems like it's going to be a fun, like, kind of food type manga. So I'm definitely interested in reading this one. It will also be out starting in August 2020 as well. Uh, the next title they announced is Beauty and the Feast. Uh, this one is uh, written and drawn by Satomi Yu. It's about a boy with a bottomless stomach and a lonely widow with a room at her dinner table to serve up a heaping helping of secret happiness. Um, so this seems like another kind of laid back kind of a food manga of sorts. So uh, it definitely seems like uh, Square Enix is definitely tapping into that food manga market for sure. They must have seen the success Dempa had with today's menu with the MM family and said, we want it on that. We can license cute slice of light cooking manga as well. Yeah, yeah. So this one will be out in October of 2020. So uh, definitely keep an eye out for that. The next title is one that has been fairly popular online. It's The Great Johnny Will Not Be Defeated. The Great J, like where'd you get Johnny I don't know, from? Like, Isn't she she doesn't look like no Johnny yeah, I've ever seen. Johnny, she don't got it's supposed to be uh, pronounced like shades and yellow hair or Johnny Bravo or anything like okay, that. I think like it's supposed that, to be pronounced so. Jahi. Jahi, well that would make That's sense. Weird. Yeah, I think I think it's Jahi, maybe. Actually, yeah, yeah, it is Jahi, looking at the katakana. Yeah, so the great Jahi will not be defeated. The story and art for this one is done by uh, Wakame Konbu. Um, this is about a puny and, powerless, puny and powerless after an unfortunate encounter with a magical girl. The Dark Realms number two has her work cut out for her in the world of human. So this seems like a pretty fun title. I've heard pretty good things about it too. So this will be out in September 2020. It's worth noting that this artist's other manga that has been licensed over here is called Breasts Are My Favorite Things in the World. So... Be warned, maybe there might be some uh, etchy content in the yeah. series, which, based on the character design of the protagonist, I really hope not, because this looks like a underage character, for sure. But the premise, at the very least, it reminds me of Devil is a Part-Timer, so perhaps we could expect that sort of humor in this, or maybe... Crossed with a bit of Umaru-chan. I get that sort of vibe just based on the cover and the expressions of this character. Yeah. I mean, people talk about it, so I'm just curious, like, what it's, like, really like. So I think I'll definitely at least check out the first volume to get a taste of it. 
Uh, but the next title is one mm-hmm. that uh, is a manga adaptation of a series that J-Novel has the license to. And this is By the Grace of the Gods, story by Roy and the art by Ranran. The description for this is Slimes up for one recently deceased middle-aged businessman when the gods reincarnate, reincarnate him in another world as a boy with magical powers, he discovers that magically tamed slime are an untapped natural resource. So, uh, th- this one's kind of interesting. It looks like, uh, they're definitely going to be utilizing a lot of slimes, so... I guess it's reincarnated as a slime, except you're not the slime. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know if that's mm, any more interesting... I feel like being reincarnated as a slime is more interesting than being reincarnated as a little boy who can tame slime, but I don't know. Yeah, I've been meaning to read this one on uh, J-Novel, but uh, uh, if I guess if like you're into it already, like, yeah, go go ahead and pick this up. Um, It'll be out in November of 2020. These slimes at least look a little less copyright infringy on the Dragon Quest slime, so <laughs> there's that. I mean, like, Rimuru doesn't have, like, the eyeballs that the Dragon Quest No, but that's how they get away with it, is Rimuru has slant eyes where the Dragon Quest eyes have big, round Toriyama cartoony eyes, but it's otherwise they're the same color and shape, so it really toes the line in that series. Original character do not steal. <laughs> but the final announcement they had was a novel, and it's a novel from a really popular video game franchise, Near Automata. Uh, so they specifically licensed Near Automata, uh, Yoroha Boys. Um, this is written by Jun Aishima. The novel is set in the universe of the award winning franchise, um, and not much is really said else beyond it. I know, like, Nier has uh, several different, like, side novels that kind of, like, tie into the main video game storyline. So I think this is one of them. Um, So, yeah, if you're a fan of Nier, uh, definitely pick this up as well. This will be out in October of 2020. It's kind of interesting to me how Nier Automata has really exploded the popularity of this franchise. Because I remember... Back before Nier Automata came out, and there was only that first game, you know, it was really like our good friend Foggle in Animation Revelation. He was like spreading the word about Nier and how great a game it was. But it was like kind of this niche game that was really underrated back then. And now after Nier Automata, like this is a franchise that everyone is aware of and really excited about. So it's really cool and interesting to see uh, more installments in this franchise come out here, like more books and manga and whatnot yeah, so really really sure. cool i think like uh the transition to having it developed a platinum games helped a lot with that because like they had a, a lot of mastery over like action games and like really like uh mastering kind of the whole action and immersive feel like i mean they they do bayonetta and games like that so having that existing kind of like uh knowledge like, in the development process probably helped a lot. And I think that kind of appeal drew a lot more people in. Which I'm happy for, because Nier's a really mm-hmm. good franchise. Yeah. But uh, moving on, Gen Press also announced quite a few titles this year in Anime NYC. They announced a total of 13 manga and light novel licenses collectively. So let's just get straight into this. The first title here is Bestia, or Bestia, 
Um, this is by Makoto Sanda and Ako Arisaka, uh, with planning by Kashiwa Miyako. The summary of this is, uh, chasing a fate memory from childhood, Asuka Tsukasa travels to London and falls headlong into a f- into fantasy intrigue and the piercing gaze of a beautiful beast girl. Yeah, so, uh, looking at the cover for this one, it seems like it at least has some, like, cool art, so... What's supposed to be bestial about her? Like, I guess she has fangs and she has a collar with chains? I'm not sure. I, I don't understand. Like, I don't even see a tail. I don't see, like, really dog ears. Like, what's, what's so bestial about her? That is a good question. I didn't even think about that. I guess it must be the fangs. But then what kind of uh, beast is she? Yeah. But I guess moving on here, the next title that they license is Lust Geos um, by Osamu Takahashi. The, the summary of this one is an occult tome turns Sota Takatsuki's life upside down when it transforms unrequited love into marathons of insatiable passion. This is a weird spin-off idea for Code Geass. I don't understand how <laughs> it relates. Is this a new power that Suzaku gets, I guess? I mean, looking at the actual image know. of this, this looks nothing like Code Geass. <laughs> yeah, well, I wonder if you were to reimagine this premise with the Code Geass characters. just randomly going to show up. Yeah, I should have said Lelouch and not Suzaku. Lelouch is the guy with the power to, like, control people and do to do whatever he wants. Yeah. But uh, moving on, um, the next title is one that I think, sure, quite a few people are familiar with already. It is Restaurant to Another World. Um, so this is the manga adaptation of it. Um, by Junpei Inuzaka, uh, Takaki Kugatsu, and Katsumi Inami. Um, the summary of this is, Somewhere in Tokyo, there is a certain special door. Most days, it stays closed and unmoving. Curiously, it opens up exactly once a week to welcome dwarves and dragons and elves who cannot wait for another chance to enjoy the inviting and comforting food of a restaurant from another world. I love this anime a lot. Like, it was such a pleasant watch every week. It was like perfect dinner time anime to really make you appreciate and savor food. So I really enjoyed this. And the manga has actually been on Crunchyroll manga for a while now. They keep updating with new characters. But it's good to see the series make the transition into print now thanks to Yen Press. Yeah, for sure. The next title that they licensed is To Save the World, Can You Wake Up the Morning After with a Demi-Human? This manga is by Rekomaru Otoi. The summary is, in a society where humans and demi-humans live side by side, uh, Hironori Tabata is destined to father the hero who will save the world. And every monster girl wants him raw. Isn't this a premise of a hentai manga? I feel like I've seen a hentai manga with this premise. Yeah, I mean... Don't you think? Like, is this actually a hentai thing? <laughs> well, why do they license this? I mean... This is uh, published in Basatsu Dragon Age, so it's not hentai, I guess. I mean, it definitely seems, like, etchy, looking at the cover. The volume one cover I'm seeing is, like, a girl, like, sitting on him with his uh, underwear down. 
I don't understand the point when there are actual hentai <laughs> with actual sex you could be reading instead of this, which would just tease you without actually giving you, like, the point of Fuck anything. Fuck, you give us more Monster Girl hentai. I'm sure they have plenty of it they, already. They very much do. Thank you, Faku. Um, but uh, the next title that Yen Press licensed is Sadako at the End of the World by Koma Natsumi and Koji Suzuki. After society falls apart, a pair of sisters play a certain infamous videotape. But when Sadako appears, they're just happy to meet another girl in this post-apocalyptic world. Written under the supervision of Koji Suzuki and the author of the Ring novels. This seems really cool. I mean, like, it seems like a really funny premise. Like, in this post-apocalyptic world, this horrific ghost girl, like, is not so scary to these girls. They just, like, hang around her. And I wonder how Sadako takes this. Is she, like, taken aback that they are not frightened of her and her machinations? Yeah. And the fact that this is actually supervised by the original author of the Ring novels, the creator of this character, is absolutely delightful to me. Like, this is a sanctioned parody, so... I think this has a lot of potential. Really, really looking yeah, forward to looking at the this cover one. of this. Like, you see, like the two like children are just like very like brightly colored and everything, and then like uh, the Sonico is just like super dark and like uh, scary, just right in the middle of the cover. It's this really like cool contrast. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, moving on. The next title is "I Love You So Much, I Hate You." By Yuni. Asano and Fujimura are an unbeatable duo at work, but their relationship is more than just professional. Is this office affair about love, or is it just a game? Yeah, I mean, uh, this one is a Yuri title, so I think this uh, will definitely be an interesting one, I guess. Yeah, it's like the Yuri version of Kakuya-sama, it sounds like. I guess, except at work. Yeah, it's work instead of the student council, but that honestly makes it even more interesting if it's about adult protagonists. Yeah, for sure. But the next title is one that I think quite a few people are probably familiar with at this point. It's the manga adaptation of Carolyn Tuesday, story written by Shinichiro Watanabe, um, and the art is by Morito Yamataka. Um, so the summary that uh, Yen Press gives here is, In this beautiful tale of friendship by Shinichiro Watanabe, uh, two girls from different worlds connect through a love of music and a desire to make it big on Mars. I still have to watch the anime for Carolyn Tuesday, because I've just been so busy. But uh, it's definitely cool to see the manga adaptation being brought over. Yeah. I feel like... I don't think it could live up to the show just because the show is so focused on music and you really need that auditory component to truly uh, appreciate it. And the visuals are no slouch either. So I don't know if the manga version will live up to what the anime version presents but i would be interested in reading it still yeah yeah for sure the next title is also one i think quite a few people are familiar with yen press has licensed the high school dxd novels 
Um, so this is written by Ichie Ishibumi with art by Miyama Zero. Um, the summary here is most of Issei Hyodo's perverted life has been filled with dreams about having a harem. So it's not a great sign when one of his dates ends with his murder. He's fortunate enough to be revived by a beautiful girl, but his luck ends after he discovers his life is filled to the brim with deadly angels and demons. This one is definitely I'm like surprised. a long overdue license. Like High School DxE has been around for quite a while. The anime is also very popular, so like I think it's really cool that the novels are finally being brought over as well. Yeah, I am surprised this hadn't been licensed already, but. I think it's great for the fans, for sure, to, to finally have the original books being published over here. Yeah, for sure. The next title is High School Prodigies Have It Easy, Even in Another World. Um, this novel is written by Riku Misura, with art by Sakura Neko. After crash landing in a foreign land filled with magical monsters, most people would wonder what to do next. For seven of Japan's greatest high school geniuses, the real question is how much are they allowed to mess around? This world might not last long enough for these insane prodigies to go home. This is an anime this season that I've not heard anyone talk about, so I'm not really sure what the consensus or interest in this series is. Yeah, I mean, uh, I haven't heard much talk about it either, so yeah, it's interesting. It might just be that anime is just a bad adaptation, but who knows? Yeah, in the light novel adaptation game, the two titles that I have been hearing about are Cautious Hero and then Ascendance of a Bookworm. Like, those are the two I hear about in terms of light novel adaptations. Both of which are really good. But I guess moving down the remaining announcements here, which are all novels, the next one is The Demon Sword Master of Excalibur Academy by Yushimizu and Asagi Tosaka. One of the most powerful demon lords ever has been sealed away for a thousand years. When he finally awakens, he is reincarnated as a ten-year-old boy. Now under the care of the girl who released him, the demon lord Leonis must navigate the perils of Excalibur Academy. There are so many of these light novels that are set in these schools, huh? I mean, this is the third one in a row that we've just talked about that's set in a school. Yeah. And it's like, at one some point, you've got to wonder, like, how many stories about these kids set in schools dealing with hijinks and sexual tension and the fact that some of their classmates are demons or whatever... Like, can you read before you get tired of them? Clearly a lot. I guess so. Yeah, I mean, uh, the next one on here doesn't seem to be school-related, though. Yeah, that's a refreshing sign. Uh, this one is, Banished from the Heroes' Party, I Decide to Live a Quiet Life in the Countryside. This one is written by Zapon with art by Yasumo. Red was born with incredible powers. And he seemed like the perfect candidate to join the front lines in the fight to save the world. But before he could, he was told this wasn't where he belonged. Instead, he finds his destiny at an apothecary. Maybe it doesn't play out the way I'm thinking, but just from the idea that this character was banished from a party because they were told they weren't belonged, 
the setup sounds like sex styled, but then where the premise goes sounds like if the protagonist of sex style didn't pursue revenge to get back at the sexist asshole who expelled her from the party, but instead changed careers and did something else. So yeah, that, that's definitely what it was reminding me It's way less interesting uh, premise to, than, to sex style to me. Like, sex style is infinitely more interesting, in my opinion, as a premise. But this, you know, this also seems like it could have potential depending on, like, uh, this quiet life in the countryside. Like, what what will that entail? What sort of incredible powers? How will you use them in this quiet life? So, that could be interesting to read. Yeah. The next title here is In the Land of Leedale, a story by Seas with art by Tenmaso. The last thing she remembers is her life support beginning to fail. Her body had suffered terribly after a fateful accident, and the only freedom left in her life came from the VR world of Leedale. How did she end up in a place that looks exactly like her game, except that 200 years have apparently gone by? One thing I will say about this is that the cover of the novel looks really pretty. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. The premise, though, is this another set trapped in another world. A game story. So, hmm. Isn't this already a little similar to that one arc of Sword Art Online with the one girl... (laughs) Lost it. I was friends with. So he's also dying. Yeah, the mother's Rosario. I don't remember the name of the girl who is the the character in Mother's Rosario. I think with a lot of these novels, you kind of have to read them first to really get a good idea of what they're going for. Because a lot of these premises, just on face value, just seem like very kind of similar at times. Yeah, I mean, we don't have much to go on of like what she is going to do. Uh, in this world now, so I guess we really gotta see how that plays out. Yeah, definitely. The next title here is uh, Three Days of Happiness by Sugaru Miyaki. In this dark, moody love story, college student Kusunoki decides to sell off the next 30 years of his life in a mysterious shop in exchange for money, and maybe a chance to find something worth living for. So is the implication that this guy is going to die in the next 30 years? Like he's going to die in his 50s, I guess? Or maybe 40s if he's like just under 20, well, he's he's like 18 or whatever? Because if he's, he's selling off 30 years of his life, but the title is Three Days of Happiness. So he's, he's given these three days of happiness, but does he only have these three days because he sold off the next 30 years? So basically it reduced his lifespan by 30 years. So now he only has three days left to live. So what is that the premise? Uh, that's just what I'm speculating. That's just what I'm wondering. But, you know, it got a story about a guy kind of dealing with existential woes and depression, trying to figure out their purpose in life, how to live, you know? That sounds interesting to me. I'm curious about that It's for sure. also not an isekai. Yeah, that's also <laughs> another very refreshing aspect about it. No isekai, no high schools, no demons, <laughs> you know? Just, just a nice, moody story about a guy who is like, well, I don't have much to live for, so I'm going to sell my life for money, you know? Good... 
old-fashioned wholesome fun. <laughs> yes, exactly. But uh, that's about it for Yen Press uh, licenses. So let's now move on to J Novel Club licenses. And J Novel Club, uh, J Novel Club did quite a doozy here. They announced thirteen new novel licenses, a brand new label called J Novel Heart, which will be focused on shoujo titles, and then they announced print releases of Sexiled, My Sexist Party Leader Kicked Me Out, so I came up with a Mythical Sorceress, and My Next Life as a Villainous All Routes Lead to Doom. And both of those physical releases will be coming in 2020. Nice. I mean, those are two of the light novels that I've been most interested in reading. And I really enjoy reading print books, uh, especially when they are, you know, regular prose books, like more so than the manga. So definitely looking to see these titles come out in print. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But going into the more uh, new licenses that they announced, uh, they announced quite a lot. So let's just get into it here. Uh, the first one is Teogonia by Tsukasa Tanimai uh, with illustrations by Koichiro Kawano. In the harsh region known as the Borderlands, humans must fight an endless battle against demi-human creatures that come at them relentlessly intent on taking their land and their gods. A young boy named Kai, fighting to defend his village, sustains a life-threatening injury that causes him to gain memories from a past life. If you're not a guardian bearer, it's like you're playing life on hard mode. Kai's newfound knowledge gives him a sense of the unfair rule set that governs the world around him. One thing is clear, for those without a god to serve as their guardian, life is a constant struggle for survival. Thus begins the epic tale of a young boy's ascent into a vast world filled with magic, bloodshed, and mystery. This one is one that I think I'm really interested in reading. I know the first few chapters are already on uh, the J Novel Club website, so if you have a subscription, you can read it before the first volume comes out. So I think that's definitely something I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. The next one here is The World's Least Interesting Master Swordsman by... Rokono Akashi with illustrations by Shisio. Sansui Shirokoro is a young guy with an old man's name, which ends up landing him in tragic circumstances when God snuffs out his life candle after mistaking him for a geezer whose time has passed. Now reincarnated into a fantasy world, Sansui is one of the immortals capable of immense power, as long as he's willing to put centuries of work into achieving it. One day after 500 years of swinging his sword, his monotonous existence is upended entirely by the appearance of a little baby. His master sends him out into the world to raise the child, and it's there that he meets a haughty young nobleman, noblewoman and her tomboyish bodyguard. His fighting style may be bland and unpretentious, but the fast-paced mortal world is about to find out just how good even the most hopeless swordsman can get with half a millennium of practice behind them. This kind of reminds me of, like, the I killed, like, 3,000, like, slime story. Yeah, basically this guy has become overpowered, basically, because he's had centuries to train. Yeah. So. Which, I mean, hey, uh, this one's also already available on the J Novel Club website, so if you want, like, a good peek at it before the volumes come out, definitely check it out on there. 
Um, the next one is one mm-hmm. that's a pretty big deal. It's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Isekai. Now, what's so special about this is that this was a doujinshi by a bunch of prolific light novel creators. Carlo Zen, the creator of Tanya the Evil, Tapai Nagatsuki, the creator of uh, Re Zero, a bunch of other ones too, the creator of uh, uh, Izakaya Nobu, Natsuya Semikawa, Hoko Suda. Like, you get it. It's just like a bunch of really big writers just all coming together to do this single story. And yeah, so I'm not really sure what it's about. It doesn't really give like much of a description. But I know a lot of people are excited about this. And I definitely am going to be checking it out because damn, just from the cover, it looks amazing. It definitely has a lot of acclaimed artists and writers behind it. Yeah, for sure. Um, The next uh, set of licenses are from the Kodansha's Legend label, which is a relatively recent label in uh, Japan. And J-Novel is already starting to release quite a few of the titles on here. Um, So the first one here is The Economics of Prophecy by uh, Noda Fukuro with illustrations by Rei Shichiwa. Basically, this one is, uh, there's an oracle princess uh, named... Alfina suddenly announces an ominous prophecy to the people of the kingdom of Crown Height. However, shunned as she is for being a descendant of rebel blood, her words are heeded by no one. On the other hand, Ricardo, the adopted heir of a peddler, who also happens to be an economics department graduate reincarnated into this world, attends the Royal Academy to study as a merchant. During an argument, Of course he is, and of course he does. (laughs) During an argument with a much more affluent merchant, the one to stick up for him is no other than Alfina. As the distance between them rapidly closes, Ricardo makes full use of his modern knowledge of science, mathematics, and economics to stand against the unknown disaster of prophecy. This is another one I've been interested to read on J-Novel recently. And looking at the description, I think it definitely piques my interest more just than just like from what I had basically heard of it. It kind of reminds me a bit of Spice and Wolf. Yeah, though that also raises the question, is there any point to the protagonist being reincarnated from another world? I mean, couldn't he have just been bored in this world and been good at economics? Like, But he has to bring in that modern knowledge, like Senku. But they could have just established that this knowledge could have been in this world already. Like... It's not actually that smart if he if it's like he knows things that these other people don't in their society is he's just applying like basic knowledge that he knows from the modern times or whatever. So I don't know, I guess I have to read how this plays out, but it just, just immediately strikes me as kind of funny in that way. Yeah, I guess. I also think it's weird that so the princess is a rebel blood but she's still the princess, so she still has royal blood, so I don't understand exactly why she is shunned by the people of the kingdom. Yeah. Uh, if she still is royalty. And they respect the royalty, apparently, if they disdain the rebels, so I don't really I understand that. I guess we'll have that. to read it and see. <laughs> I guess. The next title is one that I'm really interested in. It's Kobold King. Uh, this is by Soyusa. With illustrations by Sin, 
uh, Syme. Uh, the summary here is Gaius Balderus has led a storied life. From humble beginnings, he made a name for himself as fearsome warrior, a renowned general, advisor to kings and paramour princesses. Uh, Gaius's very presence commands respect and fear, so much so that everyone is too afraid of him to allow him to reveal his softer side. Gaius gives up everything and finds a chance to start again on the frontier of human civilization, where humans and monsters alike scrabble for existence in a hostile forest. When he runs into a tribe of kobolds, small furry creatures who are freeing from human aggression, they immediately distrust him and everything about him. Can this gentle giant of a man come to peace with his past and win the friendship of the adorable kobolds? See, this sounds pretty cute. Yeah. That sounds pretty interesting. Just from, like, the character designs alone, it was one that I think I was really interested in at the uh, panel. And it's definitely something I've been yeah. keeping on my radar to read when I have some free time uh, in the coming weeks. Yeah, it's basically like if Han Solo decided to live with Ewoks. And not get killed by Kylo Ren. Yeah, I guess at the end of Return of the Jedi, it'd be like if... Uh, you know, Han Solo decided to live with the Ewoks and uh, just uh, live in peace with these creatures in tune with nature. And maybe if he had done that, he wouldn't have married Leia and they wouldn't have had Kylo the Ren. The entire sequel trilogy have would have never happened. Oh, yes, yeah, so he would have been spared the sequel trilogy and by extension, the discourse around the sequel trilogy, which... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think that would have been much better. I would be fine with that. Yes. But the next title here is Outer Ragna by Kasugamaru with illustrations by Namco. It's like two capital O's and a lower O. So, huh. Interesting uh, name. But the summary here is Potato Starch, a live streamer who's gaining popularity for his Excitable attitude and witty banter has begun streaming Dragon Demon RPG DX, a game with a cult following known for its extreme difficulty and unreasonable systems. This sounds like Dark Souls, basically. It literally sounds like Dark Souls. <laughs> okay. Have you played Dark Souls? Or seen Dark Souls? I know of Dark Souls because I have watched YouTubers who praise the heck out of Dark Souls, and I have seen footage from Dark Souls. Doesn't this sound like Dark Souls? Yeah, sure. I, I'm not that, you know, cognizant of everything in Dark Souls, but, like, I, I am aware of it. Fair enough. But, like, at the sentence here, it says, only masochists would play it. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the world of the game... A fierce war between humans, elves, and vampires is reaching its bloody peak. The humans lacking in magic were forced into a defensive battle until a savior appeared. Wielding a battle axe, a young girl named Kuroi stepped forth to oppose both enemy armies. Heroic efforts earned her the name Dragon Slayer and Killer of Demons. Thanks to Kuroi, a girl loved by God, humans counterattack. Potato Starch is just a video game player. He dives into this world hoping to forget the tiring real world. But through an unexpected series of events, he ends up almost possessing Kuroi. As he reaches the game's climax, Kuroi discovers a mysterious power, and Potato Starch's fate is changed forever. So the reason she's loved by God is that she's literally the playable character. She's literally the character that Potato Starch is playing as in the game. 
So I'm curious. So in the universe of the game, like the characters uh, think that they are all real. Like in the world of this game, like this is a world in which all the characters are like actually caught a feeling that this is a real world. Uh, but then there's the meta aspect of, of course, Potato Starch is the one kind of controlling this world. He's like the god of this world, essentially. So the mysterious power is what I'm curious about. Are they going to bring Potato Starch into this world? Or are they going to recreate Zet and Karoi is going to go into the real world? I'll be curious to see how that plays out. Yeah. I mean, I definitely want to kind of read a little bit of this one to at least, like, see what it's like. Because at first I kind of thought, like, okay, this might just be, like, a person goes into the video game type isekai. But maybe it isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder. But you can tell this person loves video games because, again, the, the illustrator is Namco. <laughs> yeah. So. I think that only, like, emphasizes the Dark Souls references in this. Because Namco Bandai um, <laughs> publishes Dark Souls. Yeah, good uh, connection there. But uh, the next title is Her Majesty's Swarm by the 616th Special Information Battalion. That is literally the name of the writer. <laughs> um, with illustrations by Eri Iwamoto. Our protagonist is a college student who enjoys playing as the evil aligned faction. Arachnia in her favorite real-time strategy game. One day she finds herself in a world similar to one in the game. Additionally, her body is now that of a 14-year-old girl. While things are a bit different from how they were in the game, one element has remained the same. She is the leader of the Arachnia. The insects under control, collectively known as the Swarm, praise her and implore her to lead them to victory. In order to survive, she raises her swarm and forms friendly relations with the elves of the neighboring forest. But after a slaver traveling through the forest murders one of her swarm, and the nearby kingdom's knights burn down the elven village and massacre its people, she prepares to launch her counterattacks in the name of revenge. However, revenge is merely a pretense for attacking the countries of this world. Her command, command is masterful and severe, as one who has played the game in real life. Hey, this is like Overlord, or even uh, the villainous... All Roots Lead to Doom story, except, you know, this one, it seems like she's really gonna go the violent route uh, and get in her revenge. Yeah, like, in Overlord, the whole thing is, like, like, Ayn's the main character is, like, literally playing both sides of the of the war. He's preparing to be the good guy and the villain at the same time. Where here, like, it seems like uh, this girl, like, the protagonist, is just going full-on villain. I mean, she's... Supposed to be playing the villain, but from the sounds of it, like she's reacting retaliation to an even greater villainous force. If like the nearby kingdom is like basically committing genocide, you know, so uh, certainly if her revenge unveils killing everyone in the kingdom, including like innocent civilians, that is certainly villainous, but. I guess we'll see how it plays out. Like, I kind of feel, you know, eh, I do think that people who commit genocide should be brought to justice. So I, I feel like she's in the right there. Hmm. But yeah, the next uh, title here is Isekai Rebuilding Project by Yukika Minamino with illustrations by Kotakan. 
Have you ever wondered what happens after a piece is restored in a fantasy world? What happens beyond the final page of an isekai light novel? Eiji, a 30-year-old Japanese city clerk with a thoroughly average life and fiancé, had not. He too answers the call to be transferred to a fantasy world, but not as a hero. This fantasy world has already been saved by a hero, and is about to collapse for another reason entirely. Thanks to that hero, who was also summoned from Japan. Eiji is tasked with restoring the fantasy world to its authentic form. How was it before it was infected with technology, ideology, and societal concepts of modern-day Japan? Wow, this is actually kind of a cool premise. It's like a deconstructing the very idea of the genre, in a sense. Like, we have all these other stories that are about, hey, I'm in this fantasy world, but I have knowledge from the modern world, and I can apply that here and change things to better reflect my modern values or the information I know from modern times. And this is like, no, we need to revert back everything to how it was because it kind of has kind of corrupted this world in a way it wasn't meant to, to have all this extra information or technology or whatever. So that's kind of interesting. But yeah, the next uh, five licenses here, the last five, are all going to be the titles that are under the new J-Novel Heart uh, imprint that J-Novel will be doing. So the first one here is Tiramoon Empire by Nozomu uh, Mochitsuki with illustrations by Gios. Surrounded by the hate-filled gazes of her people, the selfish princess of the fallen Tiramoon Empire, Mia, takes one last look at the bleeding sun before the guillotine blade falls, only to awake as a 12-year-old, with time rewound and a second chance at life dropping into her lap. She sets out to right the countless wrongs that plague the ailing empire. Corrupt governance? Check. Border troubles? Check. Natural calamities and economic strife? Check. My, seems like a lot of work. Hard work and Mia don't mix, so she seeks out the aid of others, starting with her loyal maid Anne and the brilliant minister Ludwig. Together they strive day and night to restore the empire. Little by little, their tireless efforts begin to change the course of history, pushing the whole of the continent toward a new future. And why did the selfish princess have a change of heart, you ask? Simple. She didn't. She's just terrified of the guillotine. They hurt like hell, and Mia hates pain more than work. Lazy, selfish, and a complete coward, the ill-equipped princess of the Tiramun Empire armed with memories of her past and a diary from the future, tries to avoid dying at the guillotine again and changes the very course of history in the process. And this is kind of like a fun idea in terms of like a, you know, Groundhog Day-esque, reborn again, have to do all this stuff again story. Yeah, for sure. And like, she's reincarnating as herself. It's just like basically rewinding time. Yeah. Yeah, this is one I definitely wanted to read, so I, I'm definitely going to check it out when I have some time. The next title here mm-hmm. is The Tales of Mario Clarac by Haruka Momo, with illustrations by Maro. As a plain, unassuming noble's daughter, Marielle doesn't stand out in high society. Imagine her surprise when she receives a marriage proposal from the sought-after Simeon, second-in-command of the Royal Order of the Knights. Simeon, the heir of Earldom, is highly accomplished in scholarly military efforts, and he's gorgeous. So why did he propose to such an unremarkable noblewoman? 
Despite being a target of envy and scorn, Mariel is happy. After all, Simeon seems to be exactly her type. A dashing handsome man with glasses who appears gentle on the outside, but has a dark and scheming side. Welcome to Mariel's world, where people aren't always what they seem. And prim and a prim, proper exterior can hide the heart of a sly and devious fangirl. This seems like it could get uh, kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, um... Yeah, that, that's uh, definitely a bit of a twist. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, next one here is The Bibliophile Princess by Yui with illustrations by Satsuki Shina. When book-loving Lady Elena spots Princess Christopher, her betrothed in the name only, consorting with another noble lady, she realizes the recent rumors must be true. The prince has someone... He truly loves, which means the annulment of their engagement is both inevitable and fast approaching. When she doesn't realize is that this is merely a surface ripple, one of many where the truths run deep in a conspiracy surpassing her imagination. Hmm. Yeah, I'm a bit curious about this one. Yeah, I mean, it seems a little similar to the other one. The Mario Clark. Like, in general, like, a lot of these uh, new licenses in this line, they're, they're focused on these noble women who kind of have interesting romances with someone kind of in their position or in a position higher than them in the society. So it's kind of interesting that the this heart line is kind of being defined by these kind of series. Like off the off the bat. Yeah, the sixth uh, the sixth one also seems to fall in line with that. I refuse to be your enemy by Kanata Satsuki with illustrations by Mitsuya Fuji. From an early age, uh, Kiara has been plagued with dreams of another world. Dreams in which a girl she doesn't recognize plays a strategy game called Fariza Kingdom at War. Fariza is, in fact, the same kingdom where Kiara currently lives. Oh, and one other thing. There's an enemy character who's also named Kiara, though her name is Kiara Kredias. Naturally, as with any other RPG villain, this enemy is slayed by the heroes. So when her adoptive father, Count Patricia, orders her to marry Viscount Kredias, Kiara comes to the horrifying realization, perhaps those dreams were visions of things to come. She hatches a plan to get the hell out of Dodge and create a new future for herself. One where she stays alive. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I really love the write-up summary Jane Novel Club do, especially for this one, because they really infuse a lot of personality into it, especially when they kind of break from kind of a formal summary to really go informal and like really speak is oh yeah the characters are like i like the the more flippant language used but i also find this one interesting i mean it's basically the villainous series except rather than the character be a reincarnated character it seems that this is a character in the game world who becomes cognizant of the fact that she is a character in a game world and then fights against her fate from that perspective basically against the aims of the player character the god of the world so very very curious yeah yeah for sure and there's one more 
book to talk about, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, there is. The last one here is White Cat's Revenge has plotted from the Dragon's Lab. This one is story by Koreha with illustrations by Yamigo. 19-year-old Rumi Morikawa gets wrangled into a messy situation when her selfish childhood friend strands her in another world. To make matters somehow worse, a mysterious conspiracy gets her abandoned in a perilous forest. Through an unexpected turn of events, she comes into possession of a mystical bracelet that allows her to transform into a white cat. Now that she's in the land of the Dragon King, she must hide the fact that she's human, which means spending her days as a little white cat for the time being. But how will she extract exact her much-earned revenge against those who have wronged her while stuck in the form of a small, fluffy, cuddly cat? Well, this seems like a fun premise, but I'm a little confused by the cover because she's not a cat in the cover. I don't see where the cat is. Like, and if for, even if she has to hide her identity as a human, like, I'm only seeing, like, the human characters on this cover. So, it, it very confuses me. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, are the, are the Dragon King people, like, are they humanoid then? So, like, how do they determine who is a, a human and then who is a resident of this Dragon King place? Surely they will have, like, some dragon-like appendages if they are different from humans, so. That leaves me curious. Yeah, yeah. But I guess uh, we should move on to the next publisher here. Well, I, th- I think we should also clarify that J-Novel Club is actually still in final negotiations for Tales of Miria Clarak and Bibliophile Princess, so they haven't actually settled a deal to publish the books yet. And we'll also clarify that the books licensed under the Kadansha Legend label are going to just be released under the regular J-Novel Club branding and not as a new imprint under J-Novel Club, unlike this new heart label that they've set up. But yes, now we should move to Kadansha Vertical Announcements, our last big publisher, and they had a ton of announcements to make. Yeah, he definitely did. So Kodansha and Vertical also had a bunch of announcements at Anime NYC as well. Let's just get straight into them. So Vertical started off their panel with quite a few. The first of which was Owari Monogatari Part 2, which is coming out in February of 2020. They revealed the cover for it that they're going to be using for the English release, and it looks beautiful. Um, so that's really cool. They also announced Zoku Owari Monogatari, the basically the final novel of Monogatari final season, which is technically not the final season of Monogatari, but it's called the final season. Um, but that will be mm. out in July of 2020. So the entire like main original saga of Monogatari will be completed by then, which is really cool because I don't think anyone would have imagined years ago that we would get all of like Monogatari in that way just released over here in English. So that's really cool. And hopefully uh, Vertical will release the off-season and monster-season novels that continue the Monogatari story. But that's not the only Nisio Isin-related uh, announcement that they made. They also announced uh, that they've licensed Pretty Boy Detective Club uh, by Nisio Isin with illustrations by uh, Suzuku Oda. Um, the description of this is 
Mayumi Dojima, a second-year student at Yuiba Private Academy, is a girl on the hunt for a star that can only be seen once every 10 years. But it turns out that a secret nonprofit organization that is rumored to secretly solve trouble on campus has decided to help Mayumi search for the star. These five vivacious pretty boys send her reeling and set the stage for days of risky adventure. And this title will be out in fall of 2020. And it's also getting anime next year as well. So perfect timing. Yeah, easing fans be even. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely going to be uh, checking it out. Another uh, thing that Vertical announced was the Cheese Sweet Home Complete Manga Box Set. So this will contain all four volumes of Cheese Sweet Home in a great box set format and include a cute chi bonus item. And this will be out in June of 2020. So if you want some cheese sweet home, and you want all of it in just this great little box, this is the perfect thing to buy. The next title that they announced is The Weathering With You Manga by Makoto Shinkai and Wataru Kubota. I think most people are probably familiar with Weathering With You at this point, but the description is, the summer of freshman year of high school, a boy named Hodaka runs away from his island home and goes to Tokyo, where he spends every day in loneliness. Then, in a corner of a bustling city, he meets a girl named Hina, but he soon finds out that she possesses a mysterious power, um, and this will be on sale in summer of 2020. We've both seen Weathering With You already, and we like it a lot, so I think this might be something worth looking at. Mm-hmm. But next we move into Katancha's digital first announcements, and they sure had a lot of oh, them. God. Some of which are already available now, like this title, To Write Your Own Words by Aki Amasawa, already available digitally. This is about a pure romance novelist who tries to ghostwrite a popular steamy series, but she gets injured, Her she injures her hand a little run-in with a handsome dentist and she fears she'll lose her job until he offers to be her hands as long as she needs question mark dot 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 who knows but you can expect some steamy business going on but one i'm enthusiastic for because the cover art looks so cute and the premise sounds fun is ex enthusiast motokare mania by yukari takinami basically crazy ex-girlfriend the manga about the protagonist who spends all her free time thinking about her ex-boyfriend who she's been broken up with for five years. And she probably describes herself as a motokare mania, an ex-boyfriend enthusiast. But just when a new love seems on the horizon, the company she works at makes a new hire, her ex. Oh no. It's open up all those feelings all over again. Oh, totally obsessed with her ex all over again. Again, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend the manga. Very, very interesting. Very, very... Looking forward to checking it out. And that's also already available now. But let's get to something that'll be available in the near future on December 17th. And that's Watarikon's asterisk, 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 asterisk is about to collapse. What is about to collapse? What is the dot, dot, dot? We don't know. It is a manga by Naru Narumi. 
which is about a guy who's had a bit of a tough break because his parents have died two years ago. He lives with his sister at his aunt's house. And he wants to protect his sister, and that earned him the reputation, the guy with the sister complex. And he shrugs that off because he just cares about his sister. But unfortunately, his childhood friend turned enemy becomes his schoolmate, and now his life is thrown into chaos. And this person may just be the beginning. So maybe what's about to collapse is this character's sanity having to deal with this new bully. But we shall see very soon when the book comes out in just a couple days. Now another one I'm really excited about is the return of Morikiku Agashimura and the return of one of her series. That's right, it's Tokyo titled Epa Girls Returns. That's right. Rinko, Kaori, Kouki, they're all back. They all swore that they would get married by the 2020 Olympics. And now they're ready to step in a new chapter of romance. But will they, should they, will they finally get married? You'll find out on this Christmas Eve. But if you are more of a New Year's kind of person, then you're in luck. Because on New Year's Eve, you're getting To Be Next To You by Atsuko Namba. Which is about a girl in love with her handsome neighbor and though he goes off to high school she doesn't see their friendship changing all that much but he she finds that he kisses another girl his classmate and begins to worry will this one year difference change them after all so she needs to work up the courage to confess to him and win him over once and for all it's a sweet story of the joys and pains of first love so Will this girl be able to confess her love? I guess he'll find out this New Year's Eve, or not, if it does not get resolved in the first volume. But if you're looking for more manga by Atsukunaba, you're in luck, because that Blue Summer is coming out on January 7th, 2020. So, yeah, the summer in the winter. Yeah, this is a manga about a girl looking forward to spending her summer vacation in Tokyo and meeting boys and going out with friends. But a change of plans for her to stay the whole summer with her grandma in the country. And she's devastated by this until she meets a handsome dude with an incredible talent in the past. So some intrigue there. Maybe her summer will be a little bit interesting, a little spicy after all. But speaking of spiciness, we've got GE Good Ending by Kei Sasaza, who you may know as the author of Domestic Girlfriend. This was the artist's previous series, and it is about a high schooler who's in love with the head of his tennis team but is unable to ask her out but another student discovers his obsession with the tennis head and so they promise him that they'll get closer to her but it comes with a cost and soon our analytical strategic protagonist finds themselves in a heap of messy emotions, a bunch of turmoil. This is a series that I've actually heard quite good things about, uh, in contrast to Domestic Girlfriend even. Like, this has some really genuinely uh, heartwarming and heart-rendering moments. So I'm actually very curious and excited to see this one come out and uh, read it for myself finally. But we've also got another January Digital First in the form of Mabu Sasa by Nanase about a 
cute, bubbly high schooler obsessed with Biel, and she spots her fellow classmate at her favorite bookstore in her favorite aisle, and her fever is ignited, because could this rough-and-tumble, mean-eyed guy like them also like Biel? So... Her quest to find out leads to a conclusion she can't believe, and an otaku romantic comedy of errors begins. It looks super cute, the cover art and the premise, and I'm very much looking forward to this. But if you want some more romances, there are a ton of digital firsts that are happening in February, starting off with... Let's Kiss in Secret Tomorrow by Uri Sagata on sale February 4th. Then on February 11th, we're getting The Dorm of Love and Secrets by Nikki Asada. I'll Win You Over Senpai by Shin Shinmoto is happening on February 18th. Then I Fell in Love After School by Haruki Mitsui is coming February 25th. So bunch of... Cute shoujo romance manga hidden digital first by Kadanja USA in February, but we've also got tons of print licenses to talk about too. Starting off with a cute Yuri license, Whisper Me a Love Song by Eku Takeshima about a bubbly high schooler who falls head over heels for her senpai after hearing her band perform on her first day of school. And after she confesses her love to her surprise, her senpai says she loves her back. But they're not on the same page. They mean two different kinds of love. So they start to begin to question, what does love really mean? Well, I guess we'll find out in fall 2020. But also in fall 2020, we're getting Blue Period by Tsubasa Yamaguchi about... The perfect high school student who gets a lot of good grades and has lots of friends. But even though it's all comes effortlessly to him, that also means it comes very boringly to him. But one day he wanders into the art room and a lone painting captures his eye. And he becomes enthralled about the art world. But consumed by passion, he dives in head first un knowingly that he's about to learn how savage and unforgiving art can be. But he's gonna learn in fall 2020. But also, in fall 2020, we're getting some life lessons by uh, Mr. Urumichi Onisan, because Life Lessons of Urumichi Onisan is coming by Gakuo Kuze. It's about a TV host in their early 30s who is basically kind of a crude Mr. Rogers. Like, he's supposed to teach kids, you know, through exercises and answering questions about life in a fun and spirited way. But this guy, he finds life very painful, and he wants to be miserable in peace. So, he basically be brutally honest with these kids in hilarious ways and uh, his tagline is there are games that don't even end after you forfeit like life example so that kind of shows the nihilistic attitude of this character what sort of horrible life lessons will he teach the children i guess we'll find out this fall but again also this fall we've got 
some interesting title. We got an interesting title that has been previously released usually the first, and that's Heaven's Design Team by Hebizo, Suta, Suzuki, and Tarako. Basically, it's about uh, agency in heaven that's tasked with coming up with designing animals. And they love their work, but their divine client's demands, a.k.a. God's demands, are often very vague. So the results are sometimes wild in more ways than one. So why did some animals get made, even the weird ones? I guess we'll find out what one of God's whims led to the creation of some animals that we know and love, or maybe some fantasy animals that we know and love. Yeah, like, I have, like, the first two volumes of this, but I've never really bothered to read it. Yes, we have them, but... Yeah, I definitely have been meaning to check out the series for a long time, and I'm looking forward to seeing it come out in print, because I know this is one that people really love and really are excited for. Yeah, for sure. But I think that finally does it for all the anime NYC news, huh, V-Lord? Yeah, that, that was a lot. It was a lot. It definitely went longer than I thought. But considering how long our complete con coverage was, I shouldn't be surprised. Because Anime NYC might have been just a short three-day weekend, but it was packed with tons of things that happened in it. And no doubt that definitely meant that we had to spend tons of time to talk about it. But while we do have that massive Anime NYC retrospective in the works, we didn't want to leave you guys with just a news-only episode. So, as a special treat, we are including excerpts from all three interviews we recorded at Anime NYC on behalf of AllComic.com. That's right. You're about to listen to part of our interviews with Sarah Natalcheni, voice actress of Ash Ketchum from Pokemon, Lisa Ortiz, voice actress of Lena and First from Slayers, countless other roles, as well as being the ADR director on Pokemon, and finally, the legendary Yoshiyuki Tomino, creator of the Mobile Suit Gundam franchise. Now, what you're about to hear aren't the full interviews we recorded at Anime NYC. All the interviews we did at the con were group interviews, where we were one of many different outlets in the room asking the guest questions round-robin style. As such, there were several different questions asked by different outlets, and I've decided to only include on this podcast the questions that I personally asked during these interviews. However, All three interviews will be posted in full on our Patreon at the $1 tier for our patrons to listen to by Christmas Day. And full transcripts of all three interviews will be posted publicly on allcomic.com in the next week as well. Probably by the time our full Anime NYC retrospective podcast is posted. Now, before you listen to the following interviews, keep in mind that we were recording these in rooms filled with many other people and a very loud fan, so there's bound to be background noise. I've done the best I can to clean it up as much as possible, 
But Lisa Ortiz's audio in particular has a particularly loud fan noise that I couldn't remove without affecting mine and her voices, so I left it be. However, I think you'll get used to the sound the more you listen to it, especially since both of our voices do come in pretty clear. So, let's start off our trio of interviews with the immortal voice of Ash Ketchum herself, Sarah Natocheni. In these excerpts, she shares with us her favorite example of Ash's empathy, her thoughts on Ash becoming a league champion, and the origins of her animal foster care nonprofit, Voices for Fosters, and her passion for animal welfare. I hope you guys listen to everything she has to say. You gotta catch it all. So, what's up? How we doing? Very good. Very good. Very good. Excellent. How is your anime my season so fun? Fabulous. So fun. So many characters that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning a lot. It's good. Very good. What cosplay have you seen the most today? Uh, Pikachu, just because that's what my eye is drawn to. <laughs> yeah, I saw a few. I saw a few Pikachu. Yeah, very cute. Yeah, and it's great. How does it feel to watch Ash's journey develop throughout the seasons as in every region, every league tournament, he does better and better, and yeah. in the Alola League, he finally becomes champion. So I don't know if he becomes champion. I honestly don't. Um, it may happen, it may not. We don't know. I know it happened in Japan. That doesn't mean it's going to happen here. Um, <laughs> so we'll have to see. I admire the fact that he's improving, and that uh, the, the fandom is gaining some respect for him. I love that. He deserves it, and uh, we'll see. What is the loss of Ashes that most devastating you as an actor? It's like to experience... Losses against Paul. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. those were really... Ugh. That kid was... Ugh. <laughs> I personally hated him. Uh, not the actor, the, the character. <laughs> is there a particular moment in Pokemon where Ash displayed kindness and empathy in a way that... Yes, in episode 1928. I, did I talk? I, I talked to the last group about this episode. I recently rewatched it. Um, he, uh, I forgot what it's called now. He rescues a bunch of Pokemon from the snow. He rescues a Pokemon from a tree. He gets into his first fight with Serena, and I love that. Um, what was your question? About, my question is just a moment that's really stick out to you where Ash displayed kindness. Yes, yeah, when he rescued that Pokemon from a tree. It's so small, but it was it was so poignant for me. Also because my mom and I, we work in, uh, we foster kittens. So we don't actually rescue them, but um, I work with some rescues that, you know, are out there every single day, day and night, and taking calls from people who are like, um, I have a cat in my backyard, help me. It's like, <laughs> do it yourself, first of all. But... It's it's incredible work that they do. So that that tie-in is really. Uh, I actually want to talk about yeah. your nonprofit, Voices with yeah. Monsters. Yeah. You started two years ago, inspired by an episode. Yes. The Sunday episode, One Journey Ends, Another Begins. Yes. And I was wondering, like, what about that episode in particular, like, really stick out to you that encourage you to start the nonprofit and spread awareness of, you know, foster programs or kind of. Uh, overburdened with strays that need homes, to, uh, like temporary homes for people to take care of them. 
you're literally answering the question. <laughs> um, so f shelters are overburdened and need foster homes for their animals. Otherwise, there is a, an order in which they get put down. And they get humanely euthanized, but it's not, it's not a solution that I think we should be using in the 21st century. Um, we have the internet, we have every resource available to us to network and to be able to find homes for animals. There is absolutely no reason for euthanasia to exist at this point. Um, the, the best way to keep animals, uh, out of the shelter is by finding foster parents. And most people have no idea what fostering even is. They don't realize that they can borrow an animal <laughs> and just give them a home temporarily and then help or not help with uh, with Bidawi, the organization that we work with. Um, the kittens stay with us until they're like two pounds, and then they spay and neuter them, and they give them their shots, and they put them in their kitten room, which is like a free-running, no cages, and they all play with each other, and people can come in and meet them and decide who to adopt, and they go like hotcakes. It's great. It's a great model. So, um... Yeah, what about that episode inspired me? I, the fact that uh, my cat had just passed away um, when we started recording that episode, I think. And um, Lisa was also dealing, our director, Lisa Ortiz, was also dealing with the death of her cat um, about a year prior. And we both just like looked at each other and started crying. <laughs> and um, we figured this would be a great thing to promote. I started fostering after my cat passed away because I wanted to meet other cats. I was like, there's no way that my cat was the end all be all most amazing cat. There will never be one like her. So I, I started meeting, you know, as many cats as I could and realized, okay, they're all different, but they're all amazing in their own way. And they can all, you know, be an amazing buddy. And then I found Pikachu and now I have Pikachu. I mean, you can't equate animals and Pokemon. They're totally different. But if if you, I see the analogy in it personally. So um, I think it's a beautiful lesson. If 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 a kid comes away from watching the show, seeing how Ash treats his Pikachu and his other Pokemon, and how much he cares about them, and how worried he is when they're hurt, and how he takes them straight to Nurse Joy when when they're you know when they need help, um, it's a great lesson. If they get the analogy, it's great. But speaking of uh, choosing Pokemon, you've also played several Pokemon in the show yes. uh, itself. Like you were Ash's Raptor and Dawn's Miri. Mm -hmm. I was wondering what was your favorite Pokemon to portray. You literally answer all my questions. Uh, Dawn's Miri is my absolute favorite Pokemon to voice. What about, about, what about her? It was so fun. Oh my goodness. Her little, her little flirtation with Pikachu. Oh my goodness, the cutest thing ever. Um, just the way, the way I made her sound. <laughs> I just love her. She's so cute. Next up, our interview with Lisa Ortiz, ADR director of Pokemon and voice actress extraordinaire, known for her iconic roles like Nina and First from Slayers, Amy Rose from Sonic, and Deedlet from Record of Lodos War, and over a hundred different characters from Pokemon itself. She talks about her decades-long experience as part of the series, her day in the life, 
as an ADR director and some of the challenges acting out characters who can only speak their own name. <laughs> Once again, unfortunately, there is a loud fan blaring in the background that I couldn't remove, but both mine and Lisa's voices are clear and discernible. So while it's not the best audio quality, hey, next time we'll get along, try again. Oh yeah, I was in school. Yeah, I was a I was a trained I'm a trained theater actor. I was in school. I was getting um I was getting my BFA. I was doing all that stuff. So I was trained for theater. Uh, I had I was a singer. I had done a bunch of um, uh, theater in the community and stuff like that. So I was a, I was an actor already. This was just the first time that I had that I had. I didn't I didn't know that I could that I didn't know that this could be a job. I had no idea that I would still be doing this all this time later. Um, but yeah. I'm curious about the ADR process because mm -hmm. starting with the 19th season of Pokemon, you took over as the ADR director of the show. Yes. I'm wondering what is the day in the life as the ADR director of Pokemon? What are some of your duties and what does that entail? Um, <laughs> the day in my life is madness in a good way. <laughs> Um, yeah, I did. I actually was, I was a second director with uh, Tom Willen for a while, starting in black and white as well. And I had been ADR and directing from there. So yeah, I took over for fully for the show. So I'm the lead director and for, and I'm usually the only one who does that. Um, I start, it's usually a long week, bring everybody in. Uh, I'll watch the show, prep everything, cast it out, figure out all those things that'll happen. And then I get, um... I get about seven hours a day of Pokemon all the time. Creatures, doing all the stuff, working with everybody. Um, and uh, I, I happen to run board as well for this. So I developed a system, so I'll run the board as I direct. I'll talk to people, people will come in, um, everybody who's, we're, we're in the middle of still recording now. But um, uh, I get to, they, they had asked me to come back to do, to at the end for XY when I took over and I loved that and so I've been doing it since then um, I don't know what do you want to know it's great fun I sing a lot in the booth too they know it's a good day when I start singing to them I have songs for Gladion I have songs for pretty much everybody Carter who is uh, uh, or some of you know him as James he's just James and Meowth he and I will sing he actually wrote a song with me we wrote a song for my cabaret that I had that I uh, did over at Doctown Mamas and um, yeah but uh, mostly run board so a lot of it is trying to keep your flat uh, the lip flap, the mouths moving um, accurate in there. I want to make sure that everybody has the right energy, that they're pulling stuff in there, that everybody's performances match, and um, we have a lot of fun. Nice. I do. Yeah, it's and a good time. Just speaking more about your mm -hmm. uh, involvement in Pokemon, like you've been with the show for pretty much since the beginning. Like you, oh, counting both human and Pokemon characters, I think you've had over a hundred different roles in the show mm -hmm. over the past twenty years. I feel like even in the earlier seasons, you, we could hear you as a new character in almost every episode. Yeah, when we first started out, th there was. I, I, because I have so many, you'll see that it's, you'll, less and less, like, I don't do as many, like, human main characters of things like that now. Um, but I do audition like everybody else, and I'll do, and I've gotten some starters and creatures and stuff that I still do. Uh, but I'm, I love it, and I love that I can sort of bridge that because I worked with the original cast. There's a bunch of us who worked up over there. I've worked with the cast as it came out over here, 
and um, I was really happy like, when we did I Choose You and when we did you know Power of Us and stuff I was able to bring that sort of like there's a couple of us who've been there since the beginning sort of marry my my goal has always been to sort of marry those two worlds together um, and uh, yeah I dig it I did not know that I was going to have so much knowledge of Pokemon <laughs> I mean don't get me wrong I still have to go to the Pokedex and figure everything out but um but yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Had no idea that this would this would be such a big part of life, and it's something I do like. I I take it very seriously in in a very fun way. Um, I have a good friend who my, actually my friend who got me into anime. We will say the one who came and brought me to find my car. My friend Rob, he tells me a story about his daughter, who he came home, and he just hears his daughter sobbing uncontrollably in the next room. And he freaks out because he's a dad. So he's like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Um, he runs into the room. He's like, okay, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? She's like, yeah. She's like, I'm okay. It's just Ash lost. And he tried so hard. But it's okay. It's okay because he'll do it next time. <laughs> and um, we laughed. And he thought that was really funny. I did too. And uh, But in a way, I'm like, that's kind of who I'm... Um, you know, I, that's who I'm. That's who I'm making it for. Like, that's who all of the actors when they come in. You know, we have it. We grew up on it. You know, we all have our own feelings. And yes, it's for all fans who've done this. And there's been a lot of stuff that have come back, and I try and bring that back. But at the end of the day, it's like a new generation of um, of kids who are getting a chance to kind of you know go into it, which is great fun. So yeah, I'm very. I feel very blessed and very fortunate to have been a part of it for so long. Speaking of choosing Pokemon, two of those Pokemon you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, Tora Cat and Oshawott, you played in the show. Yes, I did. Uh, alongside a ton of other Pokemon roles. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, like, what's it like kind of to express emotions through characters that probably can only say their name, or mm-hmm. in the case of Tora Cat, that meow was like kind of a regular cat? Um, I love it. When I first started, I was terrified. I auditioned for both of those. So I auditioned for Lytton and Oshawott, and, and they cast me. So even though, like, there's a lot of things that I cast, but for all the starters and the main thing, like, we'll put them forward, and they get cast by by Seattle and by Japan. So they cast me. Um, that was the first one that I had that sort of had personality. I was terrified. I was like, what am I going to do? How am I going to make this? Like, all I can do is say my name? What's going to happen? And... Um, and it sort of had life of its own. It became one of my favorite things to do. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I was talking about this earlier. Um, Oshawott has... All of my characters sort of have inspiration from other things, so Oshawott is a little bit inspired by Jimmy Durante, if you know that, if you know, like, Vaudeville and other things. Just like my Lena Inverse and Slayers is a little bit inspired by Mae West, so there's a little bit of that. But, um, but yeah, now, and when I have, whenever we have large sections where the Pokemon are talking to each other, they're having dialogues. Like, they, you still know, like, if I started, if I was like, you still kind of have a sense of what I was saying. So you're doing that with, with just the sounds, and you get um, you can get a lot out of it. So yeah, but whenever I work with anybody or whenever we do stuff, we do all of them have internal dialogues or, or monologues that they're sort of giving underneath that so they know what they're doing. And I'm strangely, sadly, or joyfully, however you want to look at it, I know what all of them are saying at every single time. So yeah. Yeah, it's a little schizophrenic, but it's okay. Finally, here's an excerpt from our interview with Yoshiyuki Tomino, the father of the Gundam franchise himself. 
Sadly, we were only able to ask one question ourselves during this interview, which you'll listen to in just a moment. However, I think I asked a pretty good one that got a pretty interesting and honest answer in response. It's worth noting that, of course, Tomino replied to all questions in Japanese, so he had an interpreter relaying his answers in English. And, in fact, Tomino's interpreter is a voice you've heard on this podcast before. That's right, Dr. Mari Morimoto, translator of Naruto, Saint Seiya, The Rose of Versailles, and many other great titles, was Tomino's interpreter at all of his appearances at the con, including this interview. It was a pleasure to get to meet and chat with Mari in person, and I want to thank her again for all her great works throughout the convention and guiding the interview in a way to allow every outlet a turn to ask their questions. But on that subject, what was my question? Well, I was curious why Tomino continues to make new stories in the Gundam universe after all these years. So... Let's hear what he has to say in his, or rather, Mari's, own words. Uh, Oh, yes. Gundam has been around for 40 years, and you've made many different installments in the franchise. But you strike me as a creator who always seeks to innovate and explore new ideas. I was wondering, what makes Gundam a universe in in which you are continuing to be interested to tell new stories, a place where you can tell stories you, you can't tell with another franchise or a new concept? なんでそのまたガンダムの世界に戻ってあの指当てガンダム世界の中で指当たし他に一つ作られるんですかなんかそのガンダムの世界離れて当たし先にこう作りたいと思うことはありませんでしょうか三十年ガンダムを作り続け
、今、翻訳する間に思いついたことがあるのは、ラダムのスケールの仕事しか知ってこなかったので、他の、うん、出資者とか、まあ、僕に仕事を頼むときっと、とても制作費がかかる企画しか出てこないんじゃないのかなと思われている節があるんじゃないのかなという気もしました。So, so there's something I actually just、uh, thought of,、um, but,、uh, you know, I've worked on something that is such a huge scale, like Gundam, that I feel like maybe all the sponsors out there might have a mistaken assumption also that,、uh, if they were to ask me to do something new, it would be such a huge budget <laughs> that they would want to invest in it. <laughs> okay. ランダムのスケールしか知らなかったので、僕にとっては映画というのはこのくらいのボリュームのものだと思っている部分があります。そうすると、アニメーターの数まで考えてとか、それからアニメーターもキャラクターがかける人、それから戦艦がかける人、それからその人型のロボットをかける人、で、アニメーターみんな独立なんですよ。で、これを全部統合できるプロダクションっていうのは、おそらくサンライズしかないんじゃないのかな。そうするとサンライ、サンライズ抜けたところで、僕が仕事をやる場所がないらしい。っていうようなことがあって、結局、こういう結果になってしまってるんじゃないかっていう意味では、あの、そう。とても、なんだろうな、不器用な、企画者、演出家だったんじゃないのかなっていう反省はあります。So, Truth be told, I, I do only,、uh, work within this large scale world view.、Um, and I can only think of projects that, you know, I feel that you have to have a certain volume of work in order to be really call it my work. So, and if you think about it, for those of you who don't know the industry, you have separate animators and separate designers for the characters, the, the humanoid characters. You have separate animators who can draw the battleships and the other mecha. And then you have, and even within mecha, you've got the battleships and then you've got the humanoid ro- robots. They're all separate staff. So I'm thinking to myself, well, if I were to make a non-Gundam project that still has the same kind of themes and the same kind of visuals, Sunrise may be the only company left that I could work at. So if I were to leave Sunrise, To work on an entire project, I have nowhere to go. So, you know, unfortunately, I'm that kind of, kind of awkward individual. <laughs> <laughs>、And、that does it for this first podcast in our anime NYC roundup. I want To thank Sarah, Lisa, Mari, and Mr. Tomino again for their time and insights during these interviews. This was my first time doing live interviews, and as part of a group no less, so it was a huge learning experience for me, and I'm really excited to do more of these in the future. Of course, there was more to Anime NYC than just news and interviews, and we'll be going all over that in detail in our Anime NYC retrospective coming out very soon. Meanwhile, if you want to listen to our full interviews with Sarah, Lisa, and Mr. Tobino, then you can become a $1 patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. 
In addition to these interviews, we have a variety of perks and bonuses, including early access to select podcasts at our $1 tier, and monthly Patreon bonus pods at our $5 tier. We've currently finished up a series of bonus pods where Grant, the Teeth, and Colton reviewed every volume of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Phantom Blood, and for this month we've recorded a lengthy three-hour-long retrospective with our good friend Maxie Bernard covering this year in Shonen Jump manga, discussing all the highlights in series like My Hero Academia, Dr. Stone, and Chainsaw Man, as well as ranting about a few duds like Samurai 8 and Food Wars. Honestly, you should Patreon to listen to that episode just to hear how badly I pronounce the word cumulonimbus when we talk about Dr. Stone. <laughs> but yes, that podcast and over 10 more will become available to your ears at the $5 tire at the Manga Mavericks Patreon. And again, for just $1, you'll receive access to our unedited Anime NYC interviews, which should be posted by Christmas Day. And again, full transcripts of the interviews will also be posted publicly on allishcomer.com in the next week as well. But on the subject of plugs, I'd also like to give a few community shoutouts before closing the show. As Sarah talked about, Voices for Fosters is an incredibly important resource designed to help foster communities and animals in need of finding loving homes. And I'm leaving a link in the description for anyone who would like to learn more and get involved. It's a really great cause. It's helped a lot of animal lives. And honestly, relationship between humans and animals, that's a mutually beneficial relationship. And if you're an animal lover, and if you have a home you can give to an animal, you know, in their time of need until they can find a more permanent home. You know, I think it's a it's a great resource to be kept in the loop and be connected with the foster care community. So definitely check that out. It's just a really inspiring moving cause. But um in addition to that, you know, if you're hungry for more anime NYC discussion and can't wait for our impending five hour retrospective that'll hit your feeds in a week or two. I recommend listening to our good friend Marion's Good Friends Anime Club episode on the con, which is the 21st episode of that podcast. And Marion and his good friends invited on Tea Time and Marvel from the God Squad to talk about the con with them. And it's a fun recap of all their friendly shenanigans. In general, I'd like to recommend Good Friends Anime Club as a good podcast to listen to for casual and fun anime discussion. And if you want almost an hour of Doro Hedoro Manga Talk to listen to before the new anime comes out, their most recent episode is one you gotta listen to. But that finally does it for our show. Not only was covering this news long overdue, so is releasing this podcast. It's coming out a bit late, but I wanted to get it out before our next one drops. Probably tomorrow. And what's our next podcast, you ask? Well, it's a perfect manga to complement this winter weather. A festive manga for the season all about gathering your friends around the fire. 
bask in its warmth, and enjoy some sweet heat of squirrel brains and some awesome amount that isn't crappy at all. That's right, we're covering Golden Gumwe by Sadora Noda, joined on by big fans and special guests Diana Sorrell, cosplayer extraordinaire, and Kelly Kinchu, librarian and host of the comics and manga podcast, One Panel Later. We also talk about our love for the series' love of history, pop culture references, and big beefy man, and touch upon the heart underneath all the violence and madness. We also talk a bit about the two newest Shonen Jump series, Gravity Boys and Zipman, one of which was more well-received than the other, so look forward to those conversations as well. But, to listen to more of our work in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Manga underscore Mavericks on Twitter, Manga Mavericks on Tumblr.com and Manga Mavericks at Tumblr.com, YouTube at YouTube slash C Manga Mavericks, and, of course, we're on all-comma.com. But we're also on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much every and any podcast listening platform of your choice. Please subscribe to us on whatever platform you choose and leave us a rating and review. It really helps the show grow and gives us valuable feedback to help make it even better. And speaking of feedback, you can send that our way to mangamavericks at gmail.com. We love receiving emails from you guys. And if you ask us interesting questions, we'd love to read them out aloud on the show. And, again, if you want to support the work we do and help us keep doing it, we've got a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Manga Mavericks, where you can pledge to us any amount you choose and receive some cool perks like early access to podcasts and bonus podcasts while doing so. But, as for you can find me, you can find me at at Lone Romeosh on Twitter. And as Lone Romeosh on a variety of places like Animation Revelation and Anilist, wherever there's a Lone Romeosh on, that's where you can find me. You can also read my manga reviews on all-comic.com, and I've done a ton lately, and got even more coming. Last week, I reviewed all of Irodori Aqua's launch titles, and... We're going to be discussing those on the show with Own Takahashi, director of that line, in just a month or so. But in the meantime, you should check out those comics because they're all really interesting and enjoyable for different reasons. And as Nujinchi, supporting those works are supporting the creators even more directly and supporting their independent comics even more directly. So I recommend giving my reviews a read to learn all about what they're about and what makes these Jojin titles stand out. But for even more reviews, you should also be following VLORGDZ at VLORGDZ on Twitter and find him elsewhere under that name as well. And read his work on all-comma.com and Tanami Faithful. He recently wrote up a retrospective of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure for Tanami Faithful's recent countdown of the best Tanami shows of the 2010s, and he has been a frequent guest on the Tanami Faithful podcast recently on to talk about the finale of The Forge, so definitely check out that as well. And, of course, if you're a fan of Demon Slayer, then you should be listening to the Demon Slayer podcast, where V-Lord reviews every new manga chapter and new episodes of the English dub as it's airing on Tanami. And recently, he interviewed the English voice of Orokodaki, Brooke Chalmers, which is a great listen to learn about his fascinating career. But that should do it for the plugs, and that should do it for this episode of Manga Mavericks. And we'll be seeing you soon for the next one. Sayonara! Sayonara!